and welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm Rachel, Program Director at Strong Towns. First, I want to extend a hearty congratulations to Lockport, Illinois, which is the winner of this year's Strongest Town contest. Um, I hope you all enjoyed getting to listen to those episodes with the four finalists last week. I know there's kind of a change of pace from our usual stuff, but we do this every year, Strongest Town Contest, and it was wonderful to get to know so many fantastic communities throughout the last month and to celebrate Lockport, Illinois now. So thanks to everyone who applied for the contest, who voted, and who read the content. So turning to today's guest, her name is Lisa Leslie, and I got connected with her because she and her husband used to live with our Strong Towns colleague, John Pattison, and his family in a community house together. Lisa has since gone on to start a full-fledged co-housing community with 11 different families in Silverton, Oregon, and that's the focus of our conversation today. Lisa's going to go more in depth in this um, defining what co-housing is, but basically it's a term that applies to the way that most humans live around the world today and throughout history. It's living with extended family and friends in close proximity rather than having individuals and single households just occupying private separate dwelling places. In Lisa's case, the co-housing community that she helped to found, Evans Oaks, is made up of several small homes that are clustered together with lots of shared space and a commitment to doing life together. Don't worry, this is not a socialist commune, if that's not your cup of tea. It's just folks who want to live close to their neighbors and share duties and expenses and really to have a support system around them. We feature Lisa's story today because it's a wonderful example of someone envisioning a strong community and incrementally building it with her neighbors. I think the lessons that she shares in this conversation about patience and dedication and committing to deep engagement with one's community bear relevance even beyond a particular living situation. I hope it provides a fresh way to think about how we choose to live, no matter who your household or your housemates are. So here's my conversation with Lisa Leslie. everyone and welcome to this episode of the bottom up revolution podcast from strong towns today's guest is lisa leslie who helped found a co-housing community in silverton oregon lisa welcome to this podcast thanks rachel could you start out by telling us just a little bit about yourself generally and in your life sure thanks So I am a lifetime Oregonian, spent a little time out of the state in Chicago for college, but have lived here the rest of my life. Uh, My husband and I are approaching retirement age, that's exciting, and have raised four kids here in Silverton. We were both born and and grew up in Portland, Oregon, and then moved here about 30 years ago. Um, Two of our kids are deaf, and so we needed to be closer to services in Salem, Oregon for that reason. So yeah, it's it's been a great time living here in Silverton. As far as uh, our interest in co-housing, when Mike and I think about that, we realize that um, it comes from a very young age. Uh, he was yeah. raised, yeah, raised in a large family with six siblings, seven total in the family, and I was raised by a single mom from the time I was nine years old with with three siblings. I really credit her with having created this incredible legacy of um, community in my life. But thinking about this morning, I was thinking about how Mike 
also had that growing up in a Catholic parish in Portland. And just the, the idea of parish um, kind of came to mind. It seems like living in community is something that, you know, humans have been doing for thousands of years. And it's really only very recently that the idea of like some one person living in a private apartment or something has become more, more normal. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I would say even, yeah, throughout the world, it's still, you know, it, it seems as if it's a particularly American thing, our focus on individualism and, and all of that. Yeah. Great point. So how do you define co-housing, you know, broadly for people that might not be familiar with that term? Yeah, so it's it's uh, an idea and a, and a naming that came out of um, Scandinavian countries originally, decades ago. It's a notion of more than just sharing space, but sharing your lives together. And it could take, you know, many different forms, as you can imagine. But really, it's 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 a way of living that recognizes the need for community and focuses on making that more intentional rather than, you know, some of the, I mean, I think about how we have accidental community in all of our lives and sometimes emergency circumstances or necessity that puts us into living together with others. Um, But again, in America, it feels like we push away from that, you know, and so this is more of a pushing into sharing life together. Most co-housing in the U S is in more urban settings And it's a way of sharing space with each individual household, having a smaller private space and then larger than typical shared spaces. For example, you know, a community center that actually has uh, more to it than a, than a, like a typical condo community would have. And most co-housing is centered around meals um, and the idea that um, sharing food together brings us together. Most co-housing does that. We don't particularly, I'll talk about this more later, but we didn't particularly build that into our plan because we're so small. We have 11 households here in Evans Oaks, which is the name of our little community in Silverton. And we're a little bit different than other co-housing in that we have detached homes that if you looked at them would look more like small um, individual single family homes, but they're actually detached condominiums. So it's an interesting way of owning the, the homes. We don't have a road through the middle of our property, just a pathway. So you park on the perimeter, as is the case in most co-housing, mm-hmm. where there's perimeter parking and a focus on walking. Um, so that's common in, in different co-housing communities. So basically, it's an idea of living physically in a particular way that allows for closer and more intentional relationship living as well. So it's kind of a combination of a, a physical setting and, a, and an intentional community plan as well. So tell us uh, about this journey that you've been on from, you know, it sounds like living as, as a family with your children and then to moving into uh, a community living space that you were um, with, with my coworker, John, and then now like starting and building this larger co-housing community. How did that journey take place? Yeah, there's a long story. Um, <laughs> I think that's the theme you'll start to hear here and other people will as well that co-housing takes time and it's a, a slow go. Um, probably seven years ago, I would say, there was a, a group of us here in Silverton, just friends, gathering for a potluck together, um, just a social time um, and uh, and in enjoying our time together, somebody said, hey, you know, why don't we just live this way? I mean, this is crazy. Let's, let's do something like this. And 
so that was the the beginning of this particular idea. And then over the years, we we began kind of incrementally uh, meeting more frequently, getting more serious, going moving from doesn't that sound nuts to doesn't that sound possible, and then putting in small amounts of money initially, which I know is a, a strong towns you know theme as well, incremental kind of funding. And so we did do that. That's also very clearly described in all the literature about co-housing, of which there's a lot. We certainly didn't, you know, design this ourselves, this idea, and then moved to the place where we were ready to start inviting others to join us. And and so over these years, getting to the point where, where we had the financial wherewithal to, um, to move forward, and that involved at, at one point in the process, selecting and purchasing a piece of land here in Silverton to do it on. We looked at quite a few pieces, but we ended up using the piece of land that my husband and I were already associated with here. Part of it is, is land that we had owned for a while and other pieces that we added to that. As far as co-housing in our lives, you know, like I said, starting from when we were young, we both had models of community being important, um, you know, church community, community in our towns and cities, school, our Quaker meeting, deaf community, family, all, all kinds of examples of that. So it was sort of natural for us to extend to this. But you know, years ago, probably, gosh, I think it was 10 years ago or so, I was visiting with our friend Kate Pattison and talking about how they had made a very intentional decision to stay in Silverton no matter what. They had moved here from Portland, which is about 45 minutes away, and were really committed to being in this small town and making their lives here and really making a difference here. But they were living slightly outside of town and they wanted to move into town. And it, like so many places these days, it's a popular town to live in and it's fairly expensive. Mike and I were um, making a move to this enormous house. Our kids were mostly gone. We had lots of room. And again, crazy ideas. You know, that's another theme you'll hear is just, if it sounds a little nuts, go ahead and pursue it a little bit. <laughs> so we decided, yeah, so we decided that we'd move in, have their family move in together with us as we were making this move. And the funny part of the story is that uh, just as we were getting ready to make that move, I get this call from Kate wondering if she had an issue that was going to blow the whole thing apart. And that was that they had recently discovered they were pregnant with their second child. And Mike and I were so elated about that. So we got to have the joy of being um, chosen family together in that home for several years. And then uh, just a course of moves where we ended up in yet another home together with another family. Um, So there were three families sharing a home together. People have been very intrigued with that. We each had private bedroom spaces, some private space and some standards around that. But we shared all the rest of the house equally including not doing things like having separate spaces in the refrigerator or kitchen. That seems to be an issue for people. You know, We had a grocery account and shared that. Um, those two families have continued to live together after we moved out to our new home and in fact bought that home from Mike and I. So they bought it together. And I think that's a model that I see as particularly young people are finding the struggle to, to have that dream of home ownership if they really feel like that's important. Um, perhaps find somebody that you can live with and share with in more ways than just splitting the house in half. Um, so all of those experiences have been great and they've been fun and, um, and challenging in all the ways you can imagine. Yeah, that's beautiful. So in terms of starting the, the current co-housing community of Evans Oaks, um, it sounds like you started with a plot of land and then did you go through a, 
process of building the homes uh, that are on it and building the community space. How did that work? I know there's probably a lot of like really uh, extensive <laughs> details about the financing yeah. and all of that, um, which would be fascinating to get into. But like generally, how how did it go with with you know finding folks who would be interested in joining you and and starting to plan for that? Yeah. So you know, as I said, about seven years ago, we started dreaming about it, and then um, we started researching this small group of kind of a core group of people who were interested who already lived here in Silverton. And what we discovered in the co-housing literature is that really it's it's a bit backwards compared to other kinds of development. The biggest way that that's true is that you don't typically pick your land first. Typically you start to build the relationships and the people group first. So you can imagine that that's very different than typical development where it's a build it and they'll come kind of model. This is a, we come together and then we build it model. That, that's probably the biggest difference, I would say. So we followed that model. And um, over time, there were different households who joined and left for different reasons. And we got to the point where we felt like we had a, a solid enough core of people that we were ready to um, to move forward in purchasing land. So it was, it was kind of backwards in that way. We then, like I said, researched the land, chose this piece, and did some pieces of development around sewer and other utilities that had to happen to make it buildable. Uh, the city was wonderful. We had almost almost unanimous support from the city council and the planning commission. That was an, another unusual aspect of our development. Yeah, I imagine other communities might have a lot of pushback against something that's not a typical single family house, apartment building, whatever that's normal in a zoning code. Right. Yeah. No, we have we have a fairly progressive and creative uh, city planner who was behind it uh, in subtle ways, but, you know, definitely supported what we were doing. And we had to get an up zone. Um, and I don't know if people are real familiar with that process, but in most communities, if you have to change the zoning of your property from single family to anything that allows more homes on it, that is almost always a, a red flag issue for neighbors and, and cities. And, you know, it can be a real struggle. In our case, that happened seamlessly there was actual enthusiasm, you know, from the powers that be about that and looking at this as a different model. Um, now that Oregon is making some moves legislatively towards missing middle housing and encouraging that, um, I can kind of see where people who were more in the know than I was at that time understood that this was an important um, model, an important try to make. Um, so yeah, so we got the land, we got, we got going with that. We looked at different ways of, uh, eventually owning the homes, settled on the idea of detached condominiums. We knew pretty much from the beginning that we preferred detached homes because we are a rural setting. And so, um, it's, I think always important to look at your setting and say what would fit here. You know, um, we had an architect, uh, who was part of our group initially who designed these beautiful homes. So we had a, a few, few choices for people to, to choose from and then worked together with one construction loan rather than doing individual house builds. So the whole thing was built as a project that was challenging. You can imagine getting the financing again, you know, banks don't love anything unusual, you know, and through all of that process, we were continuing to add members and so that was also tricky. We were doing some marketing. The cool thing with co-housing is that there are some wonderful national and international networks of co-housing communities where you can advertise and put out information about your forming community and others will, will come alongside. So in the end, there are only three households out of the 11 here who are people that already lived in Silverton. The rest of the um, households are people who moved here from other places. 
in, yeah, as far away as Colorado. So, um, so that's been exciting. And so it was, it was challenging to have people come and visit and spend time with us and decide if this was right for them. That's also part of co-housing that you can do up front. It's, it, you know, when we get to the resale of the homes, fair housing law kicks in and pretty much anybody can live and buy here. And so at that point, you really rely on um, the nature of the housing itself and the community to sort of self-filter for people that would be um, interested in this kind of living. So who is part of this community now? I mean, not like names or anything, but like, is it is it families with younger kids or other retired folks or, or a mix? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a mix, but not as much of a mix as we'd like. I would say that is the one, if, if any of us talked about a disappointment in how things have come out or a opportunity for the future, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, we, we have one family with a young child. So we have one neighbor who's under, uh, who's less than kindergarten age, and that's delightful to all of us. Um, the rest of us are anywhere from uh, mid-50s to mid-70s in age and various stages of life as far as working still or retired. It's just some interesting aspects of who landed here. There are a fair number of people here who did not uh, have biological children in their lives. And so they have wonderful chosen family in their lives. And this is an extension of that. And so I'm curious sometimes about co-housing and whether there's a higher percentage of people who end up in co-housing who don't have children who they've raised in their homes who would then, you know, be that next generation for them. So it's an interesting aspect that way. The disappointing part is that we didn't end up with more diversity. And we certainly had interest from people who were younger and interest from people who were in different socioeconomic brackets than the people who ended up here. The problem with co-housing right now that I would say the biggest barrier to other co-housing communities is the financial part of it. Because in order for this to happen, we each had to have a pretty significant financial downswing, a big, a big investment up front to make it happen. The anticipation for the future is that on resale, these will be like any other condominium and have typical condominium financing available. And so um, people who don't who haven't saved a tremendous amount of down payment money would be able to get in then. So, you know, so hopefully in the future we'll have more age and other kinds of diversity here. Uh, not hopefully, I'm fairly certain of that based on who was interested over time. Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit already, but what parts of your life together are shared and which parts are more um, individual and private? Obviously people have their their home space, but like are those homes that have their own kitchen or is there a shared kitchen? How do you share like finances and maybe chores around the property? How have you navigated that? Yeah. Um, and again, ours might be a little bit different than some co-housing. This is where I'll bring in the idea of co-housing light in investigating other co-housing in the beginning um, and visiting some other places. Our group decided that we wanted, because there's only 11 households, most co-housing is more like 30 or more houses that are sort of arranged in pods so that there's smaller groupings. In our case, it would have been really a stretch to to do some of the things that co-housing does around sharing of meals and that kind of thing. So I touched on that some, but another aspect of it was that we decided that um, each household would have their own, you know, they'd be fully functional individual homes. And then we have a, a thousand square foot community hub, we call it the hub, that building, that has a large gathering. It's kind of like a small individual house. It has a large gathering space, a guest room with a bathroom built into that, 
a full bath there, and then a second full bath that's ADA accessible and a residential size and style kitchen. So the goal there is that that'll be a shared space that we can use for both guests who come and we need you know more space than we have in our individual homes. So some of the homes were built small enough that it would be difficult to have large extended family visit, you know, or even very much in terms of overnight guests. So that space was important for sharing, but also to be able to have community meals together, to be able to offer uh, activity space for the outside community, perhaps yoga classes or, you know, other events, you know, we pictured having candidate forums in there, that kind of thing. We did consider putting a washer and dryer in there. And then once we were under construction and looking at the use of that space, other than a couple of households, most people preferred to have their own in their home. Um, so we, we didn't do that. We did decide to self-administer. So we don't have a management agency of any kind. We do all of our own administration and you know save some expenses that way. We're, we planned to do all of our own maintenance and landscaping. So we're in the process now of making the place beautiful. And that's a lot of work up front, but you know, we, we, we want to enjoy that work together. Some co-housing communities have a theme uh, perhaps it's a, a religious theme or uh, or some other theme that they're centered around. Ours chose not to have that either. But if we had one, I suppose it would be around sustainability and, and living lighter. The sharing part of things has happened much more organically, and that was our goal. Um, if I'm making a batch of cookies, they're certainly going to get passed around. And in that way, it's a lot like what you think of in a traditional neighborhood that has sort of gone away you know, in our current culture. I imagine that navigating the pandemic together has been maybe <laughs> maybe a blessing to have people nearby, but also probably a real challenge to figure out like what's what you works know, and what, what doesn't. Your policies are and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. Can yeah. You speak to that briefly. Yeah, definitely. I've I've had to think about that a lot, and people have asked about it. Certainly, we, the the one downside, I guess, is that we had anticipated opening up to our larger community and sharing what we've done here. And people are so curious and want to see it and want to be part of it. And we haven't been able to have that big party we want to have, you know, so that'll be exciting at some point in the future, we hope. But the kind of pandemic bonus that you were sort of alluding to there has been, although we haven't spent time indoors together like we would like to and, and like we anticipate doing in the future, we certainly have worked together outdoors in safe fashion and have thoroughly enjoyed that. And just the idea of being able to step out my door and see another human, you know, sometimes that's, that's a huge thing, you know, to be able to do that. And I guess the other element of that is that, you know, when you move into something like this and it's entirely new and you have 11 households who are all nesting at the same time and trying to get settled, there was probably a bit of built-in grace around getting that time we needed on our own in our homes, um, which, which was a good thing. So we're all very excited, like everybody else, to come out of this time and and open up to the world. And that'll be a lot of fun. And in the meantime, it's been great to have each other here and, and really has actually been a good thing, I think, for us to, to be together here. Yeah, it sounds like it. What advice would you have for others who might be interested in, in starting something like this or even not to, to this level, but just being more intentional about connecting with neighbors, maybe deciding to like live with another family. Do you have any advice for people who are curious about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the first one I talked about a little bit earlier is go slow. Um, this is not a fast process. And um, again, our culture is all about fast. And I think slow is important here. 
and being very, very careful and intentional. Um, when we moved in together with the Pattisons, Kate did a fabulous job of creating a set of questions for us to go through um, uh, before we actually moved in together. And, and, and then we spent several times together doing the work of, of building some relationship um, before we began living together. Once we lived together, we also scheduled regular um, sit-down times with each other to check in and have a house meeting. I think the importance of that is, and I've talked with other people doing that kind of living, don't fail to schedule those regularly and ahead of time. Because what happens if you fail to do that is that there's going to be issues, there's going to be stuff that comes up. And if you have to call a meeting just to deal with something, that's a lot more loaded than bringing something up at a meeting that was already scheduled. So go slow, um, schedule intentional times to do the work of relationships together. And then as far as like the larger project that we've done here, the go slow works, the incrementalism is, is really important. If something seems like a good idea, you know, explore it and you'll probably find out that others are already doing something just like what you're thinking of. So it's not so scary read, read, read. There's lots of resources um, about this. And in our experience, just about everybody doing co-housing doesn't want to do anything other than talk about it. They love, like me, talking about it. So people are pretty generous with their time that way. The caution is around the financing part. And that is the most difficult part of this thing. And and so that's always important. Recognize where you where you are and what your community is like. And do and overdo the outreach. I guess that would be the other piece of, of advice is to as much as possible involve neighbors in what you're doing. There's nothing that needs to be hidden about this. Um, but in our experience, people fell into sort of two categories when they started hearing what we were planning. Um, one category of person said, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I would love to live that way. I just can't do it right now for whatever reason. The other group of people said, you guys are nuts. That's crazy. And, you know, so, and they had lots of reasons for that. And most of it was fear-based, you know, and, and so listen to that, you know, and, and give people a chance to say those things and then gently explain where you're at. In a neighborhood, an awful lot can be done. I think I, I'm very proud of the Pattisons in the neighborhood they lived in, in a, in a new subdivision neighborhood briefly. They decided to pull their neighbors together and have, you know, street parties and events and they didn't have to do it a lot or every month or anything like that. And it didn't have to be intimidating. But what it did was it just built this incredible connection between neighbors that wouldn't have existed otherwise. So, you know, doing that kind of old fashioned neighborhood work um, is, is really great too. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be fancy. People are drawn to each other and want to be together. Do you think that as, you know, you alluded to uh, housing affordability challenges, I'm thinking also about the fact that uh, people of younger generations are are getting married later or not, not getting married, having fewer children, and like faith communities are not as much of a pull for some people um, in America right now. Do you think that there is movement towards more desire for Things like co-housing or simply like living um, with with a chosen family and not, you know, single family in a single family home. Do you think that there's a shift happening or is it pretty, pretty small group of people still that are interested in this sort of life in America? I, I would say that there is a shift happening. Um, the fact that we see 
so many articles about, I mean, I, I think it's kind of like if you paint your house purple, you see all the purple houses. So maybe there aren't, there isn't that much more, but in my experience, it feels as if we're constantly seeing more information in the media about living this way, about the health, the health benefits of living this way. And then as you've said, I mean, it's, it's not really a, a radically new idea. It's just a return to something we've always done. I think about the article on Strong Towns last summer about um, bungalow courts, you know, mostly oh, in California. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if somebody was to read that article and go back and pull that back up, they'd see uh-huh. evidence that this is an incredibly popular idea that always has been for the reasons you're describing. People might be more um, isolated or independent just by the nature of their life choices. And so living amongst others really adds back that community element that might be missing if they choose not to have a large family or if they aren't part of faith communities and that kind of thing. Work from home is, you know, going to push people this direction, I'm sure, because you just want others around. I mean, so yeah, I, I've definitely seen a movement this way. In our personal experience, we we tried one time to add up how many fairly serious inquiries we had about these 11 spaces that were available here, and it was about a hundred. You know, they, these were people who actually reached out to us with emails and and genuine interest. So, and like I said, evidenced by people moving from around the country to land here. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a pull this direction. Yeah. So last question really quickly. I think you've mentioned that there are good resources and networks and things out there for people who would be curious to explore this as a possibility. Can you recommend any websites or other places people should check out? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying, I'm looking it up right now, um, because I think the name has changed. So it used to be Fellowship for International Community, um, FIC, and I'm just double checking right now to make sure that that's what it still is and give you the website. Yes, it, it, if, if somebody were to just search Foundation for Intentional Community, the website would be ic.org. So very simple website. But you can also search for co-housing and, and find quite a bit online. There are a couple of architects out of California that you'll start to encounter consistently who have designed and, and, and created a business working, really working alongside groups like ours who are forming and wanting help with that process. So you'll encounter that couple. In most large cities these days, there's at least, in, in the United States, I would say there's at least one co-housing community. The city of Portland has several. Uh, there's an organization called Orange Splot, um, it might be Orange Spot Development, started by a gentleman there who's who's created several of these. So there's a, there's a lot of resources out there. There are books written about it, and it doesn't take much of a search to find what you need on that. Yeah. Well, Lisa Leslie, thank you so much for sharing your story, and I've found it so inspiring to hear about this journey that you've been on. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, the chance to talk with you today. Great. Thanks, Rachel. Good to talk with you as well. All right, such a fascinating discussion. I'll share plenty of links to relevant resources as well as some previous articles that we have published at Strong Towns on this subject. And I'll also say if you're interested in learning more about co-housing, co-living, you can probably get in touch with John, our coworker at Strong Towns. He would be glad to talk with you. Strong Towns is a member-supported organization. I always want to remind you of that. We simply could not be where we are in this movement without you all. If you're taking action to make your city stronger, will you also take a small step to help this nonprofit keep working to serve you and provide you with great resources? 
head to strongtowns.org slash membership to sign up today and memberships start just as low as $5 a month. Thank you so much for your support. All right, we'll see you back here for more of the Bottom Up Revolution on our next episode. Thank you.